What makes a good movie a good movie and an artsy-fartsy movie too artsy and too fartsy? Today I'm talking about what makes a good movie for me. This is Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. Hello, movie friends. Welcome to Scott's F Indulgent Movie Podcast. I am Scott, and today I am talking about another uh, viewer friend question coming from my friend Jamario, who is a long time, uh, you know, we go back to middle school, man, so <laughs> talking about stuff. And he asked, uh, I put out, like, seeing if anybody had questions, and he had a bunch of uh, kind of a two parter, and I thought both of them were interesting, and I wanted to talk about them. So. The question was, the starting question was, where is the line between a movie being good or bad for art or entertainment? And what are some good examples of artsy movies that land versus ones that don't? So in regards to the line between a movie being good or bad, uh, it's always personal, but here is mine. Mine is, would I recommend this to a random stranger? (laughs) That's kind of the best way. Um, For me, it's typical. I don't need to enjoy necessarily every movie that I want, but I want to, if it impacts me in some way, shape, or form, I want to make sure that that it has a, like, it's a good impact. Like, if it sticks with me because it's, you know, showing trauma, I want it to be an accurate representation of that so I can empathize with people who have gone through it. So... I don't like what I would dub like cruelty for cruelty's sake. We'll get more into that later um, because that does show up in some art house films. But if I can see a purpose behind anything that's happening, that's good. And my my general barometer between a movie being good and bad is kind of does it succeed in what it's trying to do? Because the line is different for everybody, but for me, it's always kind of meeting a movie on its terms. So for instance, if I'm watching a romantic comedy, did I like the romance? Did I like the characters? Did I laugh? If I did all three of those things, chances are, good movie, by that standard. Action movie, do I like the character? Do I like the action? Do I like the setup? Yes to all three? Chances are, gonna give it a thumbs up. And then period, you know, period drama, is it some, is it a, do I feel like it's an important story to tell? You know, things like that. Like there's, there's always a different standard for every genre or movie and it's every time it's just a matter of does it meet those kind of these kind of internal criteria and sometimes you can like elements from a film but still think it fails and still want to recommend it (laughs) so it's not necessarily bad but it's also not good so there you go so it is it's fluid it moves all around but and so something else something else i wanted to touch on is just a reminder that good art is not always good entertainment so I'll explain what I mean here, is that sometimes it's just making a point, and sometimes, it, you know, so for instance, if it's this movie's just trying to demonstrate how contrived, like, let's say, movie premises are, I am, I love traditional narrative structure in a film, and I love, like, things like setup and payoff, but if a movie is trying to make a point about how, you know, flimsy this is, or how false this is, well, then they're going to spend their entire movie deconstructing it, and so sometimes it's just making a point, and it's not, and you're kind of frustrated by it, But it is making a point. So is it good or is it bad? Might be good, actually, because it's forcing you to think about that stuff. Um, So I already mentioned sometimes it bucks traditional narratives. And sometimes, and this is important, it was groundbreaking at the time. So I would say my go-to example of this is Andy Warhol films. And so what I wanted to point out is 
is that there's a lot of experimental film that I think is highly influential and highly interesting, but also not necessarily engaging. So it might be, there's arguments that can be made that it's good art, but it's also many of Warhol's films are just so long and so extensive. So like Empire, which is just, it's just filming the Empire State Building for I think it's 12 hours and you don't need to watch all of it. But the point is, it's just kind of observing you know, how the sky changes, how the weather changes, all this. And so that's the, the experience of watching it is the movie, if that makes sense. He also has another film called Chelsea Girls, where it's in two, it's just kind of day in the life stuff, but it's in, it's in a split screen. And so you're essentially choosing what to watch moment to moment based on whatever catches your eye. And that's the point, you know, so it's, again, not necessarily very entertaining because there is no narrative structure, but it's, it was, it was groundbreaking at the time because it was stuff that nobody had really ever done or at least mass produced in a way. I would say that I'm sure there's plenty of student films that have gone that far. So that's, that's, something to keep, that's something to keep in mind is that you don't necessarily have to like it. It doesn't necessarily have to thrill you or anything like that, but sometimes it can just be trying to make a point. And another thing that I have found is that there are plenty of classic or good movies or at least you know movies that were big in their era that are difficult to watch now because modern movies have borrowed from it so much. So something I think would be interesting is to see, for instance, how many people have, modern filmgoers have seen Vertigo because one of the, the cam, one of the camera techniques used in that film to demonstrate the Vertigo, which is basically it's, a, it's moving, it's zooming in as you move the camera out and it creates a very disorienting effect on film and it's fantastic it does exactly what it's meant to do but i'm wondering how many people are going to be like okay we get it you know watching it in a modern context because they've seen this in everything from guardians of the galaxy volume 2 to lord of the rings they've seen this technique a bunch of times so it may not be as effective especially when you deal with you know kind of the more stagey acting by you know by comparison so that's something that's something that could be uh you know, that could kind of put it between people, especially, you know, especially for movies that are slower, especially for movies that are less plot and dialogue driven, especially for movies that are, you know, clearly more just about ideas, because uh, you run into that a lot in the late, in the, in the 60s and 70s, there's a lot of kind of just pensive movies, and pensive movies are a hit or miss for a lot of people, so... And then the final part of the question, which was, what are some good examples of artsy movies that land versus ones that don't? And again, this is personal, but I did create a small list of each of ones that do or don't, and then some directors that kind of go either way. And so there's one in particular I wanted to point out, because if I say what it is, you'll be like, how on earth does that work so well? And I'll be like, well, I'll tell you. So it's called Jean Delman. And it's a French movie. I believe it's a Chantal Ackerman movie. Um, I, I might be wrong about that. But um, basically, it follows a day a woman in her daily routine where she gets her son ready for school, she makes food, and then she, then she has clients over because she is a sex worker, and then just goes about her day. And then the and it's three hours long, <laughs> and people are like, "How can you sit through that?" And just going through. Because the tedium works really well to establish because these little changes start happening in the routine. So you need to see the routine in full every time to see the little cracks in the aesthetic before it ends with like essentially a breakdown. 
And that's what, and, and that's what makes it so effective because her life is so quiet and stagnant and samey. And then these little cracks start coming and then all of a sudden it just all breaks. And so it's like this really, it's this really engaging slow burn. And that's why it works so well for me. So, and then, uh, you know, there's a couple of movies, you know, Terrence Malick has been known for these tone poem movies, as people call it, where he's just kind of blending visuals and a swirling camera and talking to, you know, Tree of Life is the go-to example. I thoroughly enjoyed Tree of Life, and I didn't enjoy his other movies like this. So, like, To the Wonder, I didn't like very much. Song to Song, I didn't like very much, because I didn't feel like... Because the visual style and confusion and, like, the, you know, kind of dealing with, like, evolution and planets, it really captured, for me at least, the feeling of being a kid and how big every moment with your parents can feel and how angelic your mom can be and how strong and forceful and impactful your father can be. I just thought it was a good visual metaphor. that, And so not everybody likes it, but I did because I thought the metaphor worked. Um, same with the movie called uh, Enemy with Jake Gyllenhaal, which is like where it's it's a doppelganger movie, and then it has this wild ass ending that a lot of people didn't understand, but I got pretty pretty quickly. But it's basically like it's a guy. It's like one. It's same. It's essentially the same guy playing two versions of himself. This one who's a showbiz type, and this other who's kind of a disgruntled professor, and them tr- you know trying to find some medium between who this guy is or should be and everything like that. Uh, Under the Skin with Scarlett Johansson, where she plays an almost mute alien who kind of takes people in and kills and kills them, and then starts to develop human emotions. And it has some pretty rough scenes in that, but I thought it's very effective. Uh, there's an 80s movie called Paris, Texas, which is it is very slow, but it's just because it has this element of mystery and kind of what is this guy's past? Because basically, a guy walks in out of the desert who apparently has been missing for years, and then goes in search of his ex-wife and son so it's fascinating to um, kind of see all that play out it's played by the uh, late harry dean stanton very very good and early jean-luc godard movies i was a big fan of so i i do like breathless uh, i do like some of his other movies like uh weekend i like that one um but then we get to movies that i don't like which includes a lot of late godard movies which just do- seem to be a series of images thrown at the screen and then just talking which is the most pretentious white man stuff I can possibly think of. It's like, ooh, this is meaningful. It's not really. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, most non-narrative movies, honestly, don't do it for me. Uh, it's one thing if they're kind of freeform and they have an idea or a theme. A lot of them don't. And that's what makes them, they're like, isn't it interesting? And I'm like, that's, that might as well be the tag for a lot of these. And I'm like, no, it's not that interesting. Either the visuals need to just kind of blow me away like... Uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky, like, I love his stuff because they're just, it's just insane. Like, you have no idea what's coming next. You have no idea how many drugs he did. (laughs) And it's just this mismatch of religious and color, religious imagery and colors and genres. And it's just inexplicable, but it's also amazing at the same time. And nobody, nobody else makes movies like him. So I kind of just dig into those. I don't know why. I'm just like, okay, let it all sweep over me. That's dramatic. So is that. That's interesting, you know, so I can kind of just take it from scene to scene and what each scene means. Um, you know, probably better if I took, like, acid or was high if I watched them, but, again, not going to do that with some of those. Um, most non-narrative movies I said don't work for me. Movies that emphasize violence and pain just for the sake of it. I, I did mention this in my review, recent review of Dancer in the Dark, that that's why Lars von Trier films, with the exception of maybe Melancholia, 
do not work for me because the emphasis is always on pain on human pain and suffering seemingly for no purpose and that i just i'm just like no i can't i can't do that they're not you're not trying to make a point you're just trying to make somebody suffer it's almost always women and that's just gross to me and uh, by that same token it's also why i can't watch woody allen movies not just because woody allen is himself i i believe is a creep but also because elements that of the things that he's been accused of are pervasive in his movies including a lot of relationships with young women um, just kind of this sexual perversion. Like, I've seen a lot of Woody Allen movies uh, when I was younger, but I, I basically, like, that train has sailed, and I, I don't plan revisiting them, any of them again. Uh, I would also say that a lot of sexual thrillers kind of toe the line, because it's... Uh, there are some that are intentionally taboo-breaking, and they're trying to kind of do this, but at the same time, there's a number of sexual thrillers or at least, you know, ones that were very explicit, that the means by which they were made are not good, and that is a big problem. So it's one thing, you know, I think that there are some scenes where the sexual, you know, the intense sexuality is the point, and it works really well, and it's actually done, like, artistically, and you can tell that there's a lot of chemistry between the people involved and that the people feel comfortable. And then there's other, then there's other movies where, it, like, it looks like people are not having a good time, and, uh, you know, it's it's one thing if, if you're tr trying to make a point, but it's, it doesn't always work for me. And then, finally, I had some hit-or-miss directors for me. So... This is mostly for you foreign film heads, so you asked for it, and you didn't ask for it. I'm just doing it. But uh, Ingmar Bergman is one. I th uh, it, uh, Bergman, rather, Ingr is, uh, I think he is hit or miss because sometimes I think he's very poetic and interesting, and sometimes I think he's just morose for being morose's sake. So, like, I love films of his, like Wild Strawberries and Persona, I think is really, not Persona, uh, yeah, Persona, Persona's really good. And obviously The Seventh Seal, uh, which has been parodied more times than I can count, are all very effective. But there's other movies where I think it's just cruel for the sake of cruelty, like Shame, or, uh, you know, there's a couple others. I think Winter Light is another one. It's just, it's just kind of existential and dreary and not really, doesn't have a lot of point. Uh, Louis Buñuel, uh, who is a supreme surrealist filmmaker, um, he's hit or miss for me, like, sometimes, and it's even the same era that it'll work or won't work, so, for instance, I think on Chien Andalou, it's, it's just the images of that are so powerful, I'll never forget them, and then I love the, that obscure object of desire, which is just kind of this, and the exterminating angel, but then, um, the discreet, uh, no, it's the discreet class, uh, charm of the bourgeoisie, and then that discreet object of desire, the, that last one I just said, the discreet object of desire, that one doesn't work for me so well, because it's, I don't know, it feels like it's trying to be too traditional, which is weird, because that <laughs> the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie is just throwing everything at the, you know, it's just so fourth wall breaking in every regard and absurd that it's nigh impossible to not enjoy. Uh, same goes for other directors like Fellini and Truffaut. I think early Truffaut is most impactful because it's the most grounded and real and kind of experimental, and then it just kind of falls into a similar format after a time. And then Fellini, I think, is best when he's just telling, like, rounded, more human stories and experimenting visually, rather than some of his more expansive films I just didn't care for because they're not expansive enough, almost. They're not broad or interesting enough. I've got a hungry cat in the background. She's always hungry. Anyway, but uh, that, thank you so much, Jamario, for the question. That's kind of where I'm at. If you want to know any more artsy-fartsy movies that I enjoy or don't enjoy, let me know. So that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time.
This has been Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie World. Thank you so much for listening. Catch you next time, everybody. Stay safe.